who he is and why he deserves and demands worship from us. So we do that by uh, just vocalizing that through song. Uh, we also worship Jesus by studying the scriptures. We're going to be uh, taking a short break. I'll explain that uh, in a minute from Luke. Well, don't worry, we're going to get right back to Luke in four weeks. We're just going to take a short four-week break to study through our uh, mission statement as a church. And it's great because whether you're just visiting, whether you've been here, or kind of dropped in or a recent to uh, church at Bergen, this is uh, not just for us. These truths are really true for Christians. So, uh, and people who are seeking, people who are doubting, these, these, uh, these realities will be good for all of us in the room regardless of where we fall. But particularly, uh, this will be helpful for those of us that consider this uh, our church home. And lastly, we also worship Jesus by giving because God was most generous in giving us himself uh, through his son Jesus. So we give in the small black box in the backs and many of you guys give online as well. So thanks for your generosity in that way. I want to just uh, open just with the, the nature of uh, this weekend. And uh, I'm fully aware that there are a good number of you in this room uh, who have been affected by uh, the events of uh, 14 years ago. And I know there are deep burdens here. I know there are a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions. Uh, so just want to take time to pray for us. Pray that God would comfort those that need it in a, in a divine way. Uh, that God would set our gaze on him as, as a sovereign one on his throne that is not left it. He's not out of control. Uh, he is gonna, he's going to bring all things to completion of his perfect will, Ephesians 1.11 says. So uh, let's just pray and uh, ask God to uh, encourage us and set our minds right for the word this morning. God, thank you that you are uh, in full authority. God, thank you that not a molecule floats out of place outside of your decree in your word. God, thank you for the refuge it is to be children under a God who is in full sustainment of all things. God, we uh, pray for those particularly this morning who are grieving, who have memories, um, who are battling thoughts of uh, anguish over loss of loved ones or friends or family. God, we pray that the God of all comfort would minister to them in a profound way this morning. They take great delight in you, the author of life, taker of life. God, I pray that they would see you in your goodness, see you in your mercy. God, we pray that as we kind of walk through together uh, why you've established us and why we exist, that it would be good news to us, that it would invigorate us, that it would propel us to be people who display and give you great glory, as that's the primary desire of your heart and the meaning of the universe. So speak to us this morning, God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, Father, we pray if there's anyone in this room this morning who is doubting, who has a hard heart, or is uh, skeptical of the things of you, to be kind to them, that they would seek you and find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, just uh, out of the gate, want you guys to know we're going to be looking at a, a number of verses this morning. We're going to be uh, walking through a lot of text. So um, if you have a Bible, you like looking in your Bible, you like making notes in your Bible, that'll be great to use. Uh, if you're new to this, you don't have a Bible, first there are Bibles in the back, but you can also uh, see a lot of the scriptures on the screen uh, so that you can follow along as well. If you're a note taker, I uh, encourage you to write down and take notes and write down specific spots. If you're uh, better learning just by listening uh, verbally and, and remembering it all, then uh, you can do that as well. But I uh, just want to say that up front. We normally, our primary diet here is to go through books of the Bible, go through them verse by verse, line by line, so that we can uh, see the fullest meaning of what God intended through books of the Bible, through his scriptures. We, we sporadically kind of do topical things. where We t- take discussions and go through them. So uh, we're going to take four-week break from Luke. 
Uh, we've, we had been walking through the, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take four weeks and just walk through um, what the mission statement is of Church at Bergen, why we believe we exist, okay? And so we want to walk through that together, just take it up into four chunks, split it up, so we got a good, meaty understanding. So we're all in alignment together, we're all walking together, we're all on the same page, we all understand why we're here, why we're gathering, why we're doing anything, uh, so we need that. So we, we sense the Lord leading in that way, so that's what we're going to do. And um, th- this, whoa. Uh, this statement that, uh, this, sorry, everybody saw that, right? Okay, cool. Uh, it's like, am I tripping up here? Okay, so th- this, this, am I allowed to say that? Okay, sorry. Okay, uh, well, sorry, forgive me if you're new. This is just me. I, this, is, this is just, uh, everyone would tell you that. So here, here's what I want to uh, get you to get at. This, this, this statement that we came up with was not something we try to be cute with. Uh, we didn't try to think, hmm, what's a, what's a cool way to talk about a church mission statement and vision? Uh, we tried as best we could to look at the scriptures and say, okay, what is the ethos? What is the, the DNA of God's redeemed people? How does that flush itself out? Why are we here? Why do we assemble? Why do we gather? Why do we do anything that we do? And so uh, this is what we wrote down as why this church, this, this local church, right, not just God's universal people, but spread out among known as his local church. Here at Church of Bergen, we see it as this. We exist to bring glory to God, okay, first and foremost, by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and then globally. So at the, at the, at the highest point of anything we do is to bring glory to God. So that's where everything starts. So if you don't start there, you're not going to get anything else right, okay? So we're going to take just this morning bringing glory to God. Why is it that God designed not just the local church, which we'll get into, but really humanity itself to ultimately function to bring God glory? Okay, that, that is at the highest point why anything happens. And then we're going to show how we do that by following his great commission of making disciples, making learners of Jesus, teaching them to obey all that, we've observed, all that he has uh, taught us to observe and know. And then that's going to happen only through one thing. Okay, it's not going to happen through uh, only uh, therapy and sessions and counseling and community and prayer. It's going to happen through primarily the good news of Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross, took the wrath that was rightly towards us in our sin and the belittlement of his name and not loving him, not wanting him as our God, wanting to be our own God. So that alone shapes us, grows us, encourages us, and refines us. So uh, you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord willing, every week, that that is what we celebrate. Jesus is the centerpiece to that, and then that's going to flush itself out, not just in local knowledge, but we want to see that go all the way to the ends of the earth. So this is the, the statement that's on our website. This is what we believe we exist for. So we're going to start out this morning just talking about bringing glory to God, glorifying God. Now this is what it means in its most basic form, is simply to magnify him. To enjoy him, okay? To worship him, to make much of him. Okay, that, that's what it means to glorify him. Okay, that's what we want to see happen. That's what we want to do. And we do this because we believe that the supreme goal of God from beginning to end is the enjoyment or the worship of the manifestation of his great glory. Of all of his infinite perfections, of all of his beauty and all that he is, we believe that is the supreme goal of God. So we want to get right in line with that goal. Okay, to join God in calling our affections, calling our wants, calling our dreams, all in the line of glorifying him is called glorifying God. Okay, it's just joining him in that goal. We're joining God in his supreme goal for his name to be great. 
That's, that's primarily why this place exists as a people. That's why God created you and me. And so this is why this is so important for us to get. Because everything else we do, everything, sing, worship, preach, mercy ministry, mission, community, loving our neighbor, is all done to see this chief end happen, to bring glory to God. That's why you have to get this. Okay, otherwise, all of these things that we do are going to end on something else that was never meant to enjoy it as worship. Okay, so we're going to, this is why this is so, the Westminster Catechism says it well if you're familiar with it. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That really sums it up. Um, when I was walking through what I call my, my crisis of faith when I was about 18, 19, grew up in the Christian home, heard everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ, heard the accurate gospel of Jesus Christ, preached, uh, was in a great family, parents loved Jesus, uh, did devotions, uh, read the Bible, uh, a lot of things I just knew. There was really no heart affections for God. I would say I was, I would say maybe there were, but looking back in hindsight, um, there was just a lot of duty, a lot of doing, a lot of morality, a lot of just liking to look like the good person, the good kid who's a jock but does a lot of good things, takes all his friends to youth group, right, gets them all altar calls 16 times. Like that was me uh, just over and over and over. That was the way I lived. And I got to college, my first year of college, and I just started being taught things that uh, at a seemingly Christian college that were not at all in what I thought was true, what I was taught growing up. So I kind of had my crisis of faith moment, and I went back to my dorm room, and I said, okay, God, I want to know how you reveal yourself. Like, I want to know what you say, not just what a pastor says, not just what other friends say, not just what a professor says. I want to know how you reveal yourself in the scriptures. What, what is sin? What, what are you like? Why, why do I exist? And here's what I found as I read through the scriptures. There was this theme that was just weaving itself from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, this, this song that I was just seeing over and over and over, and that was this. That the primary heart of God was that he would be brought as much praise as possible for all things that happen. I mean, I, I got to Isaiah 42 and, and later Isaiah 48, and this God makes seemingly outlandish statements where he says, I'm not going to give my glory to anybody else. I'm going, this is the God of the Bible? Because the way I'm living is to boost my self-esteem and make much of me and I want to be my own God. Wait, that's the damning sin of the universe? Is that we don't want to give him the right glory he deserves and we want to be our own God and get glory for ourselves? So wait, that's what's going to send me to eternal punishment and that's what the Christ went to the cross for? Right, as the wrath was towards me in that? As I rejected his name, walked away from his name, and didn't like his glory, didn't want his glory? I mean, my mind was just blown. And so as I, be, I began to see that in the scriptures, I began to see that this was why I believe the entire universe exists. And here's why that is so important to get. I, I believe that there are probably many of us that have been taught, consciously or subconsciously, that the God of the universe who made all things Right, who is infinite in wisdom, infinite in knowledge, infinite in beauty, infinite in glory, that the, re the primary reason he created man was because he was lonely and he needed fellowship. Right, so that was his answer. 
the God of the universe, who is fully sufficient in himself, which the scriptures clearly lay out, right? So somehow there was a part of him that was lonely, so the solution to that was making finite humans that would eventually rebel against him and want to steal all of his glory. Like, that, that's not the answer. That's not why he made it. Like, otherwise that makes us the center, right? But understand, we're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of anything. So if that's why God made man and woman, then man, it's a train wreck of creation, right? So, so that's why it gets into how you even read your Bible. So there are really, I found just two ways primarily we, we can look at our Bible, right? One is this is just a handbook on how to be a better person, right? Or it instructs us how to live, right? So I don't know. I mean, should I marry her or him? I don't know. Let me, let me find it. I don't know. Should I cuss? I don't know. Let me look in here. I don't know. Should I watch that type of movie or that TV show? I don't know. Let me look in here, right? And now, are there commands and demands from God that we should joyfully look at? And love, absolutely. But this book is not primarily about you and me. This book is about God. It's about him purchasing and redeeming and calling people back to give him the glory that he deserves. It's to shine a light on that God decided in his mercy to write down for us in words what he's like. Like, like we get to know him. And so the centerpiece of the universe is not you and me. It is the God of the universe. And so that is why we have this book. And this book from beginning to end will unpack for you that the primary desire of God is the glory of his name. Is the worship of his name. So here's what I want to do this morning. Three things, okay. First, I just want to look at a couple texts. Okay, there are so many that just kind of lay out this theme in scripture really quick. Then I want to look at just a few signposts in scriptures. You look throughout redemptive history as God doing this, calling people to love and worship and know his glory. And then at the end, how does the church fit into that? Okay? Those are just the three things I want to do. So uh, on the screen, we're going to see that what drives the universe is not just simply what, that we be saved or lost. Okay, that's not the ultimate goal of God. The ultimate goal of God is that he might be worshipped in all things. So just uh, look at these laundry lists. You can just write down the text and look at them later if you want. Exodus 14, 4. Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Not just to deliver the Israelites, not just to free them from slavery, but primarily God wanted to be brought glory. Ezekiel 20 will show that God didn't destroy Israel in the desert. Why? Not just because he's merciful, not just because he's kind, but ultimately for the sake of his name. So his name would be worshipped. Psalm 106 will tell you why people are saved. Not just so that you'll escape the wrath of God towards you, but man, because the namesake of God is at stake. God wants to be glorified in his saving power. Psalm 25 will show you that God forgives sin so he's glorified. Psalm 23, we grow in righteousness, right, so he's glorified. 1 Kings 8 We'll show that this, the temple itself was dedicated for the glory of God. 2 Samuel 7 will show that Israel became great and powerful, not so that they became great and powerful, but so that God's name would be made great and powerful. Isaiah 48, 11, God doesn't share his glory with anyone or anything. Just sit on that one for the rest of your life, right? That's the one that hit me as I was walking through the scriptures. John 7 will say that Jesus' life and ministry was about the glory of God. John 12 will say the cross of Christ is about the glory of God. Ephesians 1, just read the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1. You'll see that he knew you, chose you, rescued you, redeemed you, saved you, cleansed you, forgave you, gave you his Holy Spirit. Ultimately, why? For the praise of his glorious grace. So you could just praise him. I can't believe you do that. Right, just so that he would get great 
worship. 1 Corinthians 6 says our bodies, our very bodies are given to glorify God. Matthew 5, 16 will say the Christian life is about reflecting the glory of God off of our lives onto others. It's not about us just looking like moral people. There's something bigger at stake. 2 Thessalonians will say the second coming is about the consummation of the glory of God. Revelation 21, the consummation of all things. The the end of everything is so that God might be worshipped. And I think Romans 11.36 sums up everything. It says, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So the ultimate origin of everything that's made ends where? In God's lap. Why? So he might be worshipped. Now, guys, I could give you about 45 more verses. I didn't want to overload us. I just wanted to see. This is a continuous theme throughout the scriptures that God might be worshipped and praised. So this is the story of the Bible. Not you, not me, God alone. He reigns as supreme. He reigns as glorious. He's the only God, the only one that deserves worship. And anytime we, we steal any of that, want it for ourselves, that's called sin. And that's why you get to Romans 3, the, the classic verse we all know. All have sinned and fallen short of what? His glory. Right? I mean, you got to th- think through that. I mean, that is the fundamental sin of man. Romans 1 will say, man has fallen because it refuses to give God the right glory he deserves. So what that means is that, that all that you and I are and all that you and I possess was given to us by God for God and his glory. And any time you and I take all that he's given us and all that we are on something else or to worship ourselves, he calls that sin. That's why the first commandment is what? Have no other gods before me. Because everything else follows if that's true. If your heart is placed affections on something else, then everything else will crumble, right? And so from this moment on, we're, we're, we're going to see what God says. i got two explanations that I found really helpful Tim Keller says this about the glory of God. As we kind of look at signposts throughout the scriptures, here's what Tim Keller says. The glory of God is at least the combined magnitude of all God's attributes and qualities put together. In other words, his perfections are infinite. Like there's not enough letters in the alphabet to describe his beauty. And John Piper helps with saying this, glory is the manifest beauty of God's perfections. Okay, it's helpful to understand this. We talk about the glory of God. That's what we're talking about, the, the light and beauty of God. That the, that the psalm will say, if your eyes even laid themselves on for an instant, you might be incinerated. Because it's so beautiful, we're so fallen, we can't handle it. <laughs> so, with that, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's just look at a couple signposts throughout redemptive history. Um, And we're going to see God bringing back a fallen humanity that refuses his glory right out of the gate. Genesis 3, the fundamental sin of man. We're going to see what God does in calling humanity back to himself. And seeing this is why we exist and then ultimately seeing how the church fits into that. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And and here's what you're going to see right at this point. Man is in unbroken fellowship with God. Man enjoys God's glory. Man celebrates God's glory. There, there's, there's no barrier there. Okay, it's, it's unbridled. And here's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, this is Satan, 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord, that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, did God actually say to you, you shall, not, you shall eat, not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and what? Here's the great lie. You will be like God. That's the enticement of our sin-stained hearts, right? We want to be God. We want to be worshipped. So we want affections. We want everyone to like us. We want everyone to please us. We want our jobs to be everything we want. We want our families to operate the way we want. Everything is about what we want dictated in our life. And so Satan knows this. He sends this lie to Adam and Eve and says that you will be like God. Your eyes will be open, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired for, to, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, at this point, already, they're breaking fellowship with God because they want glory for themselves, and they don't want to give God glory. They've fallen short of his glory. Okay, here's what's amazing. God now, they realize they're naked. They're ashamed of their sin. They're ashamed of what they've done, that they have decided to ascribe themselves as God and not him. They wanted to buy that lie. Verse 8 is huge. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. That word presence is huge. That word presence is really talking about, every time you see it in the scriptures, the the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of himself, the, the light and beauty that is all wrapped up in his infinite perfections. This glory is coming, looking for them, and they're hiding from it. They're hiding from his very glory. And, and this is right out of the gate what seals and damns men and women to eternal punishment apart from the saving work and grace of Christ is falling short of the glory of God. This is the fundamental sin of man. So from this moment on, we're going to see what will play out as man wanting to hide from God's glory, not give him glory, not wanting to honor him, not wanting to worship him. So flip over to Exodus 33. We're going to see God announced for the first time since the garden Revealing his glory, calling people back to enjoy his glory, to see his glory. God's people are enslaved to the Egyptians. He delivers them. This is the first time God's glory is revealed since the garden. Man comes to Moses, this guy he appoints. Exodus 33, let's look in verse uh, 12. Okay, we'll go to 23. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Okay, he's just saying, hey, God, I need help. You're asking me to help lead these people. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my what? presence, same word, there it is, his glory, his Shekinah glory, his, his 
beautiful, manifold wisdom wrapped up in his light and glory. Okay, he says, my presence, my glory will go with you and I will give you rest. This is amazing. This is the first time since the garden God's saying, okay, hey, guess what? I'm going to try this again. Okay, I'm going to send you down ultimately the Ten Commandments. Your, your face is going to be glowing. You're going to see my glory. I'm going to show you a glimmer of it. We're going to get to that. And I'm going to see if these people turn back to me and worship me with the right glory I deserve. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I your people? Is it not in you going with us that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people in the face of the earth. So he's going, okay, how is this going to help me? So you're going to come with me now? I mean, what is that going to look like? Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Bold statement. And what did God say? I will make all my goodness pass before you. All his goodness, all his glory, all his perfection. It's going to pass before you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Just declaring his full authority. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Okay, so he's saying, hey, I'm going to show you an ounce of my glory, but hey, hey, just so you know, remember, I'm the God of all things. So if you even look at it wrong, you might die instantaneously. Okay? So this is what... He does, he says, and the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Jump down to Exodus 34, verse 5 to 9. We'll, we'll see how this wraps up. The Lord descends in the cloud, stands with Moses, and proclaims his name. So as he passes by Moses, as he's showing him just a, a morsel of the infinite perfections that are his glory, he just starts ascribing some attributes. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Just stop there. What happens when your gaze is rightly put back on the infinite perfections of God? What do you have to do? Worship. Like, like I say this all the time. Like God is not some weak God. He doesn't force you to love him. Man. He just reveals himself and you worship him. You see him in the scriptures and you worship him. You see him in the person and work of Jesus Christ and you worship him. That's how you were saved. I mean, you saw the infinite beauty that is God. You saw how you fell short. You saw how you chose to walk your own life and do your own thing and be your own God, choose your own way and worship all that he made, not the one who made it. You see all that. You are, realize your destruction for that and you lay your eyes on him and worship him. And your heart changes. This is what we see. So God right here, just in Exodus, is making this amazing statement. I'm calling you back to myself to give me the worship I deserve. I want to show people my glory. 
I want people to, to worship it and know it and enjoy it. And, and then he gets and he shows them just a, a morsel of his glory. And if, if you keep reading, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And what happens? The people see him. His face is glowing from God's glory. And some people are afraid. Some people are kind of like in wonder about it. What is God doing? He's actually revealing part of his glory through the face of Moses. He's revealing some of it through him to disobedient Israel, calling them back to his glory. So track with me for a minute. In the garden, Adam and Eve are there. God says, hey, worship me, enjoy me. Look at my glory. They sin, they forfeit fellowship with God. They want their own glory. They don't want to worship his. They want to worship themselves, not him. And so he casts them out. He puts a cherubim in front, right, signifying, hey, unbridled fellowship in God, enjoying God's glory is separated. It's, it's, not, it's no longer available, right? Can't happen. Then he comes back later in Exodus 33, says, hey, okay, I'm going to use Moses. You're going to be my instrument. Go down there. You have your glory. Remember, Moses keeps running back up the mountain to get more glory on his face because it keeps wearing off. He says, I want you to show them my glory. Call people back. And what happens? They just start worshiping idols. They start complaining again. They don't want it. They don't want God's goodness. They don't want to worship God. They don't want his glory. And so, you know, the story continues to go every time the people complain and they're worshipers of self. And the the end result is, right, they all end up wandering around in the wilderness, dying out. Next generation gets up, walks into the land of promise. And here's what's amazing. If you keep reading in your Bible, God eventually will come back and say, okay, let's try this a third time. Build a temple. And what happens? They, they build this tabernacle, right? I think in 1 Kings 8 you can read about this. Under King Solomon they, they construct this, this beautiful temple. And before that, he had them build a tabernacle. If you read in Exodus 40, he hasn't built a tabernacle it's where his presence, his glory is going to reside. And what does he do? He's a cloud of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night. That's his glory. That's always right in front of him. I want you to see it. And then it goes back into the ark. So eventually he gets to 1 Kings 8. They build a temple. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. And here's what's crazy. You get all the way to Ezekiel from 1 Kings 8, 11, as he's continually trying to call people back to his glory. You get to Ezekiel, they go to Toys R Us, buy some chalkboard paint, and start writing and drawing their idols all over the insides of the temple. So you know what God eventually does? He leaves. His glory leaves. So here is the grand meta-narrative question. If you're following Redemptive history. How is he going to reveal his glory then? Is he going to reveal it again? How is he going to call people back to right relationship that was broken in Genesis 3? Is he going to send somebody? Are we going to have a temple? Are we going to have a tabernacle? Is it going to be the face of somebody? And who, who does he send? His plan A from eternity past, who is the very glory of himself, his son, Jesus Christ. What does Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 say? For he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God 
the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay. <laughs> so we're going, okay, in the garden, you were there. What's going to happen now? I mean, another temple, face of a man, what's going to happen? He goes, hey, I'm sending, I'm breaking through human history, my incarnate son, Jesus Christ, who is the exact imprint of my nature. You want to know what I'm like? Just look at Jesus. You want to know what my glory's like? Just look at Jesus Christ. You want to know what my compassion's like? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to know what my perfection's like, my words are like, my actions are like? Just look at Jesus Christ. Right, I mean, what does Colossians 1.15 say? He is the visible nature of the invisible God. He's literally the invisible God made visible. I mean, haven't you ever wanted to know what God is like? Like, what are his attributes? You just look at Christ. You don't need to speculate. You just look at his son, who is the very radiance of the glory of God. So he sends his glorious representation in the very bodily humanity, fully divinity, Jesus Christ, to display his glory, to show the glory of God made flesh. Amazing. And what do we see? History repeat. Just like they keep turning their backs on the glory of God and worshiping other other things and buying the lie, they do the same thing to Jesus the very exact representation and imprint of his glory. They reject Jesus. They don't want to worship Jesus. They don't want the glorious son. History just keeps repeating itself, right? And let me stop here for a minute because this is why without what Jesus will go and do, you will never break out of your cul-de-sac of self-worship. So if the fundamental basic sin of the universe is you wanting to be God, ascribing worth to you that's only due God, and you doing anything it costs to get it, that'll never happen because you by nature, you were not designed to be satisfied in you worshiping yourself. Like, like, this is why so many of you, even, even when we meet, you're just endlessly bitter, endlessly frustrated, endlessly angry because you're constantly going after and chasing the wind on something that was never meant, never, never designed in you to satisfy you. So the glory that you want can only go so far. And then you get angry, then you get frustrated, then you want more of it, right? And whether it's changing a circumstance or a marriage or kids or, or more, whatever it is, just whatever you're going after because you want to be God, you want to tell everyone, this is how my life should be, this is how everything should operate, not how God says it should operate, I shouldn't submit to him, I should take all his good gifts he's given to me and abuse them on myself. I mean, think about how nuts that is. Like someone gives you a gift and you use it instead to, to kill your dog with it. And he's like, hey, I didn't give you those golf clubs to kill your dog. I said you got to play golf with it. You're not using it the way it was designed to use. That's what we do. That is this fundamental sin of the universe. And when we do that, you're in this cul-de-sac continuously. You're on the merry-go-round of self-worship. And until Jesus Christ enters into human history, the very imprint of God's nature, and all that wrath is towards us for the belittlement of his name. Some of you are going, man, I can't believe hell is a punishment for sin. Well, you don't understand how glorious he is. You you don't understand the weight of his beauty. You you don't get how massively perfect and glorious he is. Now, even the smallest smidge of trying to steal any of that is 
heinous in his sight. He's so gracious. All that wrath towards you in the belittlement of his name. He goes to the cross in his perfect son who is all of his glory and he bears it all for you. He takes all of your sin. He gives you all of his righteousness and then he kills it in the grave. He rises again. He ascends. And what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit and puts his glory in the church. And now what happens? You're free to worship. Like you're no longer enslaved to yourself. You're no longer enslaved to self-worship. That's what Christ did in delivering you from the bondage of sin, which is the sin to your own desire to worship you. He goes, just enjoy my glory. Back to Genesis 3. Have fellowship restored with me. And all of a sudden, you're not enslaved to what you need or what you want. Your worth and your value and identity is no longer indicative of what you have or what you don't have or what other people do or don't do or what, you know, what things happen in your life or what your marriage is like. It is solely based upon Christ restoring you back to himself and saying you're freed from letting that drive you. Worship me. Enjoy me. That's bondage, not freedom. Praise God for Christ. And and here's what is so amazing. Here's the final piece. How does the church fit into this, right? Here's what was mind-blowing to me. How does God want to keep displaying his glory, right? Because Jesus ascended. He's no longer bodily present. He wants to use his church. He's not going to use a tabernacle. He's not going to use a temple. He's not going to use a garden. He's going to use the redeemed people of God. No way. You know you, right? I know me. He, huh, he wants to use me to display a sliver of his glory? Let's close in prayer, right? I mean, just, just sit on that for a minute. Just sit on that for a minute. Because this is life-changing. This is life-altering. This is why in 2 Corinthians 6, it's not on the screen, he says, for we are the temple of the living God. He's not inside the physical temple, he's in the living temple, right? God reveals his glory through the church, so we exist to glorify his name by our existence, by our assembling, by our functioning together. We exude in some way the very manifestation of the glory of God, his church. And we put on display in some small way, even though we're imperfect through the perfections of Jesus who bought us for God, for himself. So he's the one that covers us. He's the one we're hidden behind, okay? Through that, people see just a morsel of the infinite, glorious perfections of God. Amazing. Incredible. That's why we're called his temple. We're his tabernacle. We're the shining face of Moses. That's who we are. Now, to land the plane, here's just a couple of scriptures that we'll talk about in the New Testament about God's glory and the presence of Jesus which resides in the church. This is amazing. Look at just a few of these. Colossians 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
The glorious Son of God is now in the church. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? When was the last time you were walking and you just thought to yourself, the glory of Christ is inside me? It's been about a month for me. Only because I happened to read a verse. It's the only reason I remembered it. Romans 8.10, Paul says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So Christ has taken up residence in our hearts and he's made our spirit life, not death. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hey, Paul doesn't say here, I live in a Christ-like way or I glorify Christ through my behavior. This is a profound verse we read all the time. He says, Christ lives in me. So the Christian life is not so much just behaving like Christ. It's about the risen Christ living in and through you to display his glory. Mind-blowing, right? Last one, 2 Thessalonians 1.10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints... And to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Okay. Christ's return will cause us to marvel. But even more so, what we'll be marveling at is the glory that resides in his saints. (laughs) That will be displayed. That's insane. This is who we are now. That we're the living temple of God to display his glory. I want to end with a quote and then just one final thought. This pastor and author John Piper says this about this. I thought this was very helpful in just getting to the day-to-day. He says, God created us in his image so that we would image forth his glory in the world. We were made to be prisms refracting the light of God's glory into all of life. Why God should want us to give us a share in shining his glory is a great mystery. Call it grace, call it mercy, call it love. It is an unspeakable wonder. Once we were not, then we existed for the glory of God. Therefore, it is the duty of every person to live for the glory of God. What does it mean to glorify God? It does not mean to make him more glorious. It means to acknowledge his glory and value it above all things and to make it known. So how does this affect everything we've spoken about, everything we've talked about, how does this affect day-to-day life for you and me? Our worth, our value, our identity, our status, has nothing to do with what you do, but why you do it. There's freedom there. Our worth, our status, our virtue, our identity has nothing to do with what we do, but why we do it. You know what this means for us, brothers and sisters? No work is menial work. No work is like subpar work or great work. 
I heard a pastor say one time, right, God in the Old Testament was a gardener, in the New Testament he's a carpenter. Like all work is glorious if it's done, as Paul says, do it all for what? The glory of God, not for man. It's not man who you're serving. This frees us to, to do everything, to just look for the, the glorious ways that we're exuding the glory of God in our, in our day-to-day. So whether you're a CEO or a stay-at-home mom or a babysitter or a street sweeper or a janitor or a school teacher or a pastor, it, there's no levels. It's, man, whatever you do, not, not, not subpar, not JV, not varsity, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God because that is where the beauty is. You're exuding in some way a sliver of the glory of God that's unspeakable worth. That we get to do that? The status isn't a big thing. The, the glory of God's the big thing. And that, that's what he's called us to do. We keep our eyes focused on his glory. I want to end with just a question. Why do you gather on Sunday mornings here with this church? I want you just to ask yourself that question. Why do you gather here? And think through the, the answer. What is it that drives you to get up in the morning and come in here and sit in a seat and sing some songs, listen to preaching, maybe give, maybe pray with someone, maybe talk to someone, leave and carry about your day? Why do you gather? Because I'll tell you why we're not gathering. This isn't a place where now we're all going to have what we did, our personal devotions together now. Right? It's not that what we did individually during the week is we, we prayed, maybe we sang, maybe we fellowship. We're not now just coming together to do it corporately. Right? We're not coming in here to do our spiritual shopping. Let me see what's down this aisle of prayer. Let me see what's up in the preaching special, see what I like. Let me see what's in the community over here, this aisle. And then you load up your shopping cart, you throw away the stuff you don't like, you go home, and then you just kind of forget about the stuff in your cart. And it tills out by Friday, and you throw it in the trash, and you come back and do spiritual shopping again. We are, we are gathering as a living temple that displays the glory of God. That's why we're gathering. We're gathering because the scriptures will say, as you come together, it is proclaiming his great beauty, his great glory. As people see the church operating, bearing with, loving, encouraging, edifying, singing, preaching, gathering in community, that's all for the chief end of him being brought glory. So that eyes see it. They might see a, just a shade of the glory of the infinite God who they will all stand before one day at the end of all things. And so what's the purpose of church at Bergen then? If, if the answer is what it does for us, you're missing something really crucial. If you're constantly answering what the church does for you, you're, you're missing something huge. Because according to the scriptures we just saw, it has little to do with what it does for you and more what it does for God. So we gather for God, for what it does for him, for how he delights in seeing his people worship and give great glory. And then that rolls out into those around us, right? 
And, and here's why that, that's so huge. I, because I think as we begin to understand this, it, the Christian life becomes more than just sustaining your moral effort. It becomes more than just avoiding a list of vices and trying to cultivate a list of virtues. You're entering into something that is divine and beautiful and glorious and deep and weighty. That we might be a picture and display the glory of God through the glory of Jesus Christ, which is in you and me. Let's ask God to help us to do that individually and corporately. God, we are, we are humbled that you would even desire to let us share in shining your glory. We know that we're not doing this to, to add to you. We're not doing this to make you more glorious or more holy. You are already fully sufficient in all that you are, yet in us sharing in that, God, our joy increases. For you know the happiest man is the one who lives a life to the glory of God, who is free from living to the glory of man. God, thank you for freeing us from our sin of self-worship through the person work of Jesus Christ who went in our place, who bore the wrath for us, who made us clean, who made us righteous, who took our sin. God, we marvel at that, that you are now residing in us, this living institution. God, may church at Bergen exist for that primary purpose, to bring glory to your name. God, help us to be a right reflection of your glory. Help us to be more mindful of not us behaving better, but cognitive of the Christ who lives in us and through us by your power and grace. God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, which you instituted to remind us of the glorious work of your Son, that you went to a cross, your body was broken, your blood was shed, to reconcile us, redeem us, and bring back together the fellowship that was broken in one day in all of its fullness. God, we celebrate that, we worship that, we enjoy that this morning. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Help us to share in joy where we need to share in joy. And walk more faithfully in light of that. Make this true of this church and your church globally. That it would be a bright, visible display of your glory by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.